Well, hey friends, happy Sunday. It is so great to be back again with you today. Uh, I really, truly, I hope you're doing well. My name is Clay Munkus, and I am the lead pastor here at Next Level. And if we have never met, as I always say, uh, you know, I'd love to meet you, but I'm glad that you have chosen to join us anyway. Today, we are continuing in our series called Unstoppable. And during this series, we have been challenging you as a follower of Jesus to do what I would say is the difficult thing, the countercultural thing, to take a risk and show the love of Jesus where you live, work, and play. Now, more than any time in my life, honestly, it, it is critical, I believe, that the church lead the way in loving others. I, I know that I can't recall a time where it's been more divisive than the time that we're living in right now. It seems like everyone is mad at everyone. There's uncertainty in our economy. There's political nastiness, racial unrest. The housing market's gone crazy. There are shortages and supply chain issues just keep popping up, all of which have come together and kind of created this very, very kind of tense time in which we are living in. And even when doing something as simple as going out to eat, you can't avoid the tension. Recently, I went out to grab something quick to eat, and as I was entering the restaurant, I saw this sign, and it says, please respect our staff. For many of them, this is their first job. They are someone's child. Do not be rude to them. Thank you for those, right? And you've probably seen similar signs on windows and drive throughs as well. So <clears throat> I, I go in, and I place my order with the girl at the counter, and she informs me that they don't have what I wanted. So I said, no problem, and I ordered something else. And as I did, you could see the grimace on her face as she knew she had to tell me they were also out of that. So I just said something about, hey, I, I get it, I understand supply chain problems, and I was really polite. Then she began to open up and tell me about a customer earlier that had cussed her out for having told her that they were out of something, and then for whatever reason, threw her flip-flop at the door on the way out. And sadly, I think that kind of sums up the world that we live in right now. So with that in mind, in a world where you're going to encounter people that are stretched terribly thin emotionally, where you will encounter people that you disagree with, it could be coworkers, it could be other parents at your kid's school or on your kid's team. Uh, it could be some other students that you go to school with. It could be your neighbors. It could be family. It could even be people you go to church with. So as a Christian, how do you raise the reputation of Jesus in moments like that? How do you represent and stay consistent with the character of Jesus in those moments of tension or even outright hostility? And I think the answer for us is found in the life of Jesus himself. When you read through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record several instances where Jesus was involved in some very tense moments. And let's look at a couple of those before we get going too far. Cheating woman, right? So Jesus encounters this woman uh, that had been uh, caught in the very act of adultery, right? Some religious leaders brought a woman, and they caught her in the very act of adultery. So they drag her out of bed and place her in front of Jesus. And they said that the law of Moses, and they interpret it correctly, says she should be put to death by stoning. Now, I find this interesting because that same passage in Leviticus, when you go there, it says the man should be put to death as well. But they didn't bring the man. A fact that I am sure was not lost on Jesus. But he says nothing. 
And he just begins writing in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. They don't record what he wrote. But whatever it was, it caused all of her accusers to walk away. Then he turns to her and says, There is no one here to accuse you. And he lets her go with these words, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. On another occasion, Jesus goes to a drinking well at a specific time and encounters a Samaritan woman. And by way of background, Jews, they did not associate with Samaritans. In fact, they considered them dogs or or less than. They were definitely less than the Jewish people. It was extreme racial and, and, and an ethnic bias. But not only that, they also had major disagreements over the teachings in the, New, in the Old Testament. So there were all these differences, gender, culture, religion, ethnicity. Yet in this encounter, she felt comfortable enough not only to talk with Jesus, but to also ask him some pretty pointed questions. Some of the questions are even pretty accusatory in nature, but Jesus just listens and talks kindly. And the grace he extended opened the door for him to share some life-changing truth for her. And then on another occasion, Jesus encounters a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. And tax collectors during this time would have been considered traitors to the Jewish nation. They had aligned themselves with Rome. They had betrayed their own country for another. They were hated for this. Therefore, they were somebody who needed to be avoided. They deserved punishment. They deserved justice for their actions. They didn't deserve any amount of kindness. Yet when Jesus meets Matthew, he doesn't shun him. Not for any of that, right? Nor does he think that he is incapable of being a friend. He extends him grace, and then he does something absolutely shocking. He calls him to be one of his disciples. There are many other instances that I can mention. And in every one of them, it seems that Jesus always says or always does the exact right thing. He always does or says the thing that the person he encounters needs the most. How? Well, I think the answer to that is found in the opening chapter of the book of John, where we see in verse 14, John tells us, We have seen his glory, talking about Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father Full of grace and truth. Jesus was all grace and all truth. So when Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery, what Jesus, when, when Jesus talked to that Samaritan woman at the well, when Jesus came up to Matthew, the tax collector, what we see is this. Jesus looked through the lens of grace and truth. Jesus looks through the lens of grace and truth. This is Always how Jesus said and did the exact right thing. He viewed every person that he encountered through the lens of grace and truth. Jesus was full of both, and he knew when to use them. Now, let's talk a little bit about the first century culture, the one that Jesus lived in. It was centered around seeing things only through the lens of truth. Therefore, if you broke the law of Moses, truth said you must die. It was a culture that revolved around people getting what they deserve. Adulterers deserve to die. Samaritans deserve to be mistreated. Tax collectors deserve to be shunned or worse. Lepers deserve to be isolated. Criminals deserve to die on a cross. People with disabilities deserve to suffer because somebody must have sinned, right? Everybody needs to get what they deserve. And honestly... 
We live in a culture that is not too different. But in our culture, it's not just that other person needs to get what they deserve. Our culture is also focused on making sure I get what I deserve. Right? Our culture has placed me or I at the center of everything. So we say things like, girl, I'm going to go ahead and buy that new dress because why? I deserve it. Or I've been working hard and I'm going to get that new car because I deserve it. And what can happen is all your relationships can become very transactional. We start viewing other people or other opportunities through the lens of what do I get out of it? So if I'm considering joining a group, what does the group have to offer me? Or what does the neighborhood have to offer my family? What does your team offer my kid? If, if we're going to go on a date, what do you bring to the table? And considering you as a friend, how would you benefit me? And what we have is our relationships become all transactional. Am I getting what I deserve, which is always good things? And are other people getting what they deserve, which is largely consequences or bad things? And what we are left with in our culture is a culture war of us versus them. Us versus them. So, in our culture, if you're a Democrat, you think all those soulless Republicans should get what they deserve. Or if you're a Republican, you think all those godless Democrats should get what they deserve. If you're not popular, you think all the popular people should suffer. Or if you are popular, you think geeky people, well, they're just getting what they deserve. If you're white-collar, you look down on people who are blue-collar. If you are blue-collar, you look down on people who are white-collar. So what happens inside of our culture is it's rich versus poor. One culture versus another culture. City versus city. State versus state. It's West Coast versus East Coast. America versus Europe. Baseball versus basketball. Boomer versus millennial. Falcons versus Panthers, right? Or, or maybe it's really Falcons, Panthers, and the rest of the NFL versus the Patriots. Needless to say, we live in a very polarized us versus them culture. And in it, people are either getting what they deserve which is usually the them, all right, whoever them are at the time, or not getting what we deserve, which is usually us. And just like in our culture, the culture of Jesus' time was very us versus them, a culture where people got what they deserved, good or bad, based on what they had done. So if you had done good things and aligned yourself with the right team or the right group of people, then you deserve good things. But if you had done bad things and aligned yourself with the wrong team or the wrong group of people, you deserved all the bad things. But Jesus didn't play the us versus them game. He did not look at people through the lens of what they had done. Jesus focused on what God had done. Jesus chose to focus on what was transformational. He looked at what moved people out of the us versus them mindset. And in doing so, he also helped people focus on things that mattered most. Mainly, what God has done for us and wants for us. I think a great example of focusing on being full of grace and truth, believe it or not, comes from two former members of our Supreme Court. Uh, during his time on the court, Justice Anton Scalia, he anchored the conservative ideals 
And on her time, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg championed the more progressive ideals. Now, these two could not have been further apart politically, yet they were congenial towards one another and genuinely cared for each other. And despite disagreeing on everything from same-sex marriage to gun rights, they wound up having a warm, decades-long friendship. And when Judd Scalia was observed taking, he, he was taking a bouquet of flowers to Ginsburg's office during a time when she was sick, someone challenged him for being so amiable to a person whose views he strongly opposed. And I love his response. He responded and said, there are some things more important than votes. Guys, that's it. That's full of grace and truth. And what I would say is Christians, we are not called to be win-at-all-cost people. We are not asked to have an us-versus-them mindset. We are not asked to view people based on what they have done. We are called to be transformational, to look at people through the lens of what God has done, both for us and for them. And if we are to be a people that raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play, we must follow the example that Jesus showed. So when you encounter someone that has a different opinion or was raised different or has a different viewpoint, we are called to be like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Now, word of warning on this. A grace and truth lifestyle, it's messy. It, it just is. When that friend that is needy or has a need comes and asks for money yet again, handling that with grace and truth, that's going to be messy. Or, or, or calling that family member that you haven't talked to in two years because maybe they see parenting different than you or they see God and faith different than you or maybe they voted different than you or, or you just have a different worldview, right? Making that call full of grace and full of truth is going to be messy. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. All truth people, right? Say, say you're a truth person. If you're a truth person, um, you like truth because truth, man, truth, it's just so clean. It's clear, right? Uh, there, there's no gray in truth. It's, it's just truth. And so when you talk to people, I'm just speaking truth. You know, I don't want you to get offended by what I did. You know, I'm just speaking truth. But the people that you're talking to in general, they probably don't see it that way. They probably see it as hard and harsh, right? And, and maybe it hurts. So there is truth, and if you're all truth, you can hurt. And, and then there's people over here. That, this is all grace people, right? And, and, and all grace people, I mean, they're kind of soft and fluffy, right? I mean, it's, it's just, you know, hey, you know, let, let's come, let's talk, uh, uh, and uh, everything is about let's, let's not uh, get upset about anything. Uh, generally, we're not going to have an argument. These people can avoid conflict, right? But nothing good can really come from being all grace, just like nothing good can come from being all truth. But when you take grace and you mix that with all truth, first off, you need to know that it's just going to be messy, right? I mean, it's when you put these two things together, you know, when, when, you, when you have that call with that family member that you haven't talked to in quite a while or, or you have that friend that comes to you and asks for money yet again, 
man, that, that, that all grace and all truth conversation, that's going to be hard. Or when you call that person and, and you, uh, you know, choose to forgive them even though you know that they wronged you and you feel like they really wronged you, but you just feel like this is what you need to do. You need to extend some grace. That, that's going to be messy. When you mix grace and truth, what you get is a mess. A truth and grace lifestyle is messy. It's being willing to sit down with people that you disagree with and having a conversation and listening before speaking. It's being comfortable with the idea that you have one set of rules for one person and a different set of rules for another because they are at different places in life. Places where one might need more grace and the other might need more truth. So what does truth and grace look like in a church? Well, fortunately, we have an example of this in the early church. If you uh, look into the book of Acts you get to see this take place. Now, for some context, when the church started, it was almost exclusively Jewish people that started following Jesus. So when they became Christians, they still followed the law of Moses. But as Gentiles started becoming Christians, they didn't have any background for the law. Uh, they didn't own, they didn't know any Old Testament scriptures. So there came some heated discussion about whether or not these Gentiles would need to follow the law the dietary restrictions, the sacrifices, circumcision, that kind of stuff. And in Acts chapter 15, what we get a peek into is a council. A council is called to kind of take up this matter. And in verse 5, I want to begin reading today. Verse 5 says, But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, you've probably heard of them, stood up and insisted, The Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. This is a pretty high bar, especially for men coming to Christ, right? I mean, the Jews were circumcised as babies. But now this Pharisee, or the Pharisees in general, are saying grown adult men are going to have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. And you thought it was difficult to kind of raise your hand when the preacher asked if anyone wanted to be saved. Imagine if it was raise your hand and the next step was to walk backstage for surgery, right? Thankfully for us, verse 6 happens. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. And if you look at who's there for this council, I mean, all the big names are there. Peter is there. Paul is there. Barnabas. James, who is the brother of Jesus. They are all there because this is important. Verse 7. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now, I want you to notice this next phrase because it is so important for us to remember, especially in our current culture. He says this, verse 9, He made no distinction between us in them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Did you catch that? Right? There is, God made no distinction between us and them. In other words, there is no us versus them in the kingdom of God. In verse 10, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able 
to bear. So Peter is reminding these Jewish Christians that they weren't even able to follow all of the requirements that now they want to place on these Gentile believers. In verse 11, he says, We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Peter is saying we can't be all truth. We need some grace. Actually, we need lots of it. And over the next couple of verses, Paul, Barnabas, James, they all chime in with their thoughts on why we should extend grace to the Gentiles. They even quote an Old Testament prophecy to back up their claims. Then in verse 19, James, the brother of Jesus, makes this incredible statement. He says this, verse 19, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, James says that we need to remove any obstacle that stands in the way of someone coming to find new life in Jesus. Hey guys, let's make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. People are changed by Jesus, not keeping a bunch of rules, not by cleansing ceremonies, and not by surgery. Let's not be so caught up in truth that people can't find grace and life and find Jesus. So what does it look like? to be a truth and grace church. It means that we need to do the things that actually raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. It means that we don't engage in the us versus them fight that our culture wants to pull us into. After all, I mean, go back, verse 9, he says, He, being God, made no distinction between us and them. So if God does not see it as us versus them, we shouldn't see it that way Either And what Jesus taught and what we clearly see these early Christians reinforcing is that it is not us versus them. Actually, it is us for them. Think about Paul, Peter, Barnabas, James. What are they doing? All these men, they grew up in a religious system. They spent their lives defending. And now they are laying down some deeply held beliefs. Don't minimize that. Why? Because they were for the Gentiles. They care more about being transformational than transactional. They care more about that Gentiles would receive a rich and satisfying life than them getting what they deserve. And what that means for us today is that in Jesus, a Republican can be for a Democrat. A Democrat can be for a Republican. A jock can be for a nerd, and a nerd can be for a jock. In Jesus, the rich can be for the poor, and the poor can be for the rich. In Jesus, a Christian can even be for an atheist, and a Panthers fan can even be for a Falcons fan. All kidding aside, though, what is not only possible, it is expected for a Christian because them finding a rich and satisfying life in Jesus is more important than us being right. Now, this doesn't mean that someone won't ever be offended by the gospel. People will be. Jesus' teachings are, are sometimes hard, and the way of life can sometimes be very difficult. And in that way, the gospel can be offensive. But you don't have to be offensive. What you do need to be is authentic. Our friends, our family, our coworkers, fellow students need you to be honest about your questions. They need you to be an example of what faith in Jesus looks like when played out in normal life. 
And one of the things I love most about this church is that Next Level is a place where people are real. We don't try to be fake. We don't try to be perfect Christians. We have questions. We have doubts. No one here spends time trying to convince others that they are better than anyone. In fact, a better than you faith, that just fuels the us versus them. But an authentic faith, that fuels us for them. And in the divisive culture we find ourselves in, my challenge for us as Christians is to set aside the us versus them and look at everyone we see through the lens of grace and truth. Because when we live a life that is full of grace and full of truth, yeah, it's messy. But if we're willing to live with the mess, it allows us to mix that together and begin to make something that we can build a foundation, right? One that matters, one classmate at a time, one neighbor at a time, one friend at a time, one coworker at a time. We build one family member at a time and the messiness of grace and truth coming together it's how we build something. It's how we raise the reputation of Jesus. It's how you build a story other people want to share. And together, we can absolutely raise the reputation of Jesus where we live and work and play. And in so doing, we will build something that really matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I'm not even going to pretend that this concept is easy because we all know that it's not. It's so easy to get sucked into the us versus them. It's easy to focus on a desire for people to get what they deserve. And it's easy for us to live a life of anger and bitterness. But you've not called us to any of that. So Jesus, I pray that you would work on our heart. Remind us that we really want to make a difference. It's going to come through our love. Because once we choose to respond in anger, once we step into the culture wars of us versus them, our ability to make a difference is negligible. So Jesus, give us the patience to live in the messy world of grace and truth. Use us to lead others into real life. Use us to build something here in Charlotte, North Carolina that really matters. In your name we pray. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, but by sharing this content as well as liking and subscribing to this channel, you are helping us accomplish that mission that we just talked about to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, uh, I would I'll always take an opportunity to ask you uh, to give here at Next Level. And you can do so by heading over to our website, nextlevelchurch.org. There's a give button. Select that and choose one of those giving options that's there. Your faithful support helps us continue the work to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, by way of benediction, let me reread to you that very first verse from John chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, We have seen his glory being Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. May you this week stand in the glory of Jesus, and just as he is, may you be full of grace and truth. And in living that out, may you live a worth life worth sharing. Hey guys, have a blessed week. Uh, we'll see you every day on all of our social channels. If we can be praying for you, let us know. We love you, and we're praying that you do well.